Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode. When you heard the title of this film, am I the only person who thought that his uh, his alter ego was going to be a nun? Oh no, I thought that too. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I think I've been watching too much Dairy Girls because obviously there's Sister Michael and that. And I was like, oh, Sister Hyde, she'll be a nun, that's fine. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the father. Wait! I'll be back. Here's Johnny. Hello, Wizard. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Oh, hi, Mark. Well, good movies. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Well, Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. I'm your host, David Osger, and I'm joined, as ever, by my co-host, Dr. Craig. I think you'll find this time I am Craigie Hyde. Seriously, why do you ever think that you're on this podcast with what could be considered the mild-mannered and kind version of me? <laughs> I thought that I was going to go with uh, Mr. McDonald. I thought uh, I thought I might have two two introductions there. I get like Happy Craig and then Angry Craig. Yeah, Miss, to be fair, Mr. McDonald would be the representation of just me being absolutely angry. That's just the, the Karen version of you. <laughs> that that weirdly cut me so deep, and I can't describe why. <laughs> so um as we alluded to there craig we talk about movies well worth watching despite duds along the way so just to tease the audience at home do you think today's movie is a dud or well worth watching i, I just want to check do we know if if sarah from last week is listening sorry sarah um you you might not like things that i say on this podcast i think it's i think it's somewhere in the middle leaning closer to dud Ooh. Bit of a first so far, which is quite fun. So, well, um, then I yeah, tried well, to break through this like binary that you've tried to create of, of good <laughs> or bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. It, nothing is that black or white. Um, well, we'll get on to soon why that might be the case. Uh, but for anyone who didn't catch our previous episode and doesn't know what Craig is on about there with Sarah, can you just recap us, Craig, on uh, what we're watching and how we came to watch it? Yep. So, in yet another guest v host situation of the end game, David took on our last guest, Sarah, where she was able to come out victorious because she was the uh, she was the one to best able identify different personalities of movie characters inhabiting different movie characters' bodies. Uh, in the end, she decided because she is a massive fan of everything to do with the uh, the strange case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde to make us look at the 1971 film Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Awesome. So, yeah, going back to the sort of era of the 60s and 70s is going to be very fun and uh, one that uh, none of us on the podcast had seen before. So we look forward to discussing Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde from 1971 and undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into the movie vault, our vault of movies that celebrates chosen films for all time. But before that, 
we have a new guest joining us on Well Good Movies today. So uh, please welcome editor, podcaster and writer for Movie Scramble and Jump Cut Online, Mary Munoz. Hello, Mary. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. So uh, thank you for joining us, especially on this, the blessed day that is Star Wars Day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Yoda's birthday. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, uh, for everyone at home, this we're recording on um, May the 4th. We're not going mad. We know this isn't out on May, May the 4th. But uh, yeah, we're obviously talking about a, a film that's very little to do with Star Wars, but we thought we'd still get that representation in and Luckily, we have a massive uh, Baby Yoda slash Grogu fan <laughs> with us. Sorry, very little. <laughs> I would say it, I, I would say if you counted everything up, it would have absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with well, Star Wars. Well, I'm just thinking in our world, in which you get these tedious links between films, if somebody wanted to have some kind of dual personality, light and dark, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think the vaguest connection you can have is the association of actors amongst the stu- the studio of this film. Potentially, yeah, but... Vague, vague as hell, dude. Just wait until uh, Empire Strikes Back is recommended for next week at the end of this episode. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Mary, you're, you're a big um, Grogu fan. Um, were you a big Star Wars fan before before seeing Baby Yoda? Or was it because of Mando that you saw came on board? Uh, no, so I remember when I was a uh, wee, or we are since I'm only five foot, my dad took me to the cinema when they re-released all the original Star Wars movies and I kind of fell in love with cinema in general but Star Wars then and obviously um with the Mandalorian you know being like the lockdown thing to watch I've sort of fallen in love with a a small green bean so yeah I've been grow good all day today that's good yeah so you you have all the merch you have a t-shirt you have some ears (laughs) yes I mean there's baby Yoda literally in every room in my house it's quite embarrassing um but yeah the ears that I have uh, are clearly made for a child because I've had to put them on sort of sporadically today because they don't fit my uh, lollipop head <laughs> yeah so like further back yeah. of, of, the, of the head rather than sort of like right at the front yeah well I'm also trying to rep with my Star Wars t-shirt Ooh. I got like I got Yoda you know his distant relative or his his, his mate in in the background there with R2D2 so um but as you said on Twitter quite rightly you know, you you are the potential parent of Grogu, not Yoda. <laughs> yeah, I've laid claim to him. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's actually Mando season three. Is you and uh, Mando duking it out? <laughs> oh, I'd love that. <laughs> if there's any Disney executives listening, I'm very much available to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch a lot of Star Wars um, parental court decisions being played out. <laughs> Mando being made to remove his helmet in court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of my head kind of went first to like dark saber duel or something, but yeah, I think I prefer that just an actual, you know, Judge Judy Star Wars sort of moment. Love that. Uh, Mary, obviously you're on here as you're um, a big fan of movies, as you said there yes. by watching the old Star Wars movies. Uh, you're also uh, like us, a podcaster. You also uh, write for several websites can you just tell us then a bit about what you do and some of uh, the kind of films you enjoy and enjoy talking and writing about sure so i am an editor and podcaster at movie scramble we are a glasgow-based a uh, film review site our podcast was born from a, a drunken trip to the pub like all good glaswegian ideas are um, and we've been on the go now for i think around about a decade um, and we cover obviously things like glasgow film festival and a lot of smaller indies as well as obviously the big blockbusters 
And I'm also a staff writer for Jump Cut Online. I've been busy doing lots of Star Wars content for today. Uh, and I joined the team there in March of last year. There's a sort of ongoing joke, both on my Twitter and various film groups that I'm a part of, uh, that I'm a big uh, war film fan. That is actually true when I look at all the films that I actually really enjoy. So yeah, a lot of war films, a lot of classic Hollywood cinema, a lot of musicals, a lot of Hitchcock. And I'm a big fan of any sort of like really grisly thrillers, like your kind of sevens type thing, anything that's a bit kind of mean and moody with some blood thrown in. Awesome. Yeah. Nice, uh, nice mix there. Nice bit of variety. And yeah, kind of like ties into what we're talking about today. Because I think when I was watching some of the behind the scenes of um, today's film, they were talking about musical influences almost. And I was like, oh, okay. Quite surprised by that. But yeah, I think it, it does come through slightly if you kind of yeah. see what they were talking about in terms of the production. But we'll, we'll get on to that. <laughs> um, and what kind of stuff do you talk about in terms of, uh, you know, movie scramble on the podcast or, you know, what was some of the kind of uh, articles that you've written in the past? So on the Scramble podcast, we'll usually pick a film that we've all been to see recently and then we'll sort of tie that into a particular theme or an actor and we'll chat about that for the podcast episode. Um, on our site, we do obviously news, interviews, reviews and occasionally sort of six of the best kind of listicles type of things. Um, as I say, we've been doing lots of Star Wars content recently and hoping to get to see Doctor Strange this weekend um, and hopefully be reviewing that because I'm obviously into a big Marvel blockbuster as well. Yeah, that's definitely a very one that I'm very excited for. Me too. Yeah, so we've heard a lot about you insofar as a sort of more uh, critical and enjoying film sort of aspect. How far does that expand insofar as do you also get involved with interesting things like looking at the trivia of films, doing things like challenges or just, you know, doing even like mus- uh, movie quizzes, for example? I really love, there's nothing better than when you watch a film, especially if you're watching it at home, right? And then you go on IMDb afterwards and you scroll through all the trivia. However, what I will say is that for someone who watches a lot of films, obviously writes a lot of films, I'm the last person you want on a pub quiz team. I am so bad when it comes to being on the spot. that I just go and I forget everything. So I'll endeavour, but it's probably not something I'm going to be very good at. (laughs) I mean, that's going to be interesting for later. Um, I think David only wanted this segment because he wanted to scope out competition before he has to face you in a game. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so I can relate. This is so I can be like, yeah, don't worry, I'm I'm the same too. (laughs) We'll now go on to our main discussion today, which is the film that was chosen for us, which is Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde from 1971. Uh, This is from Hammer horror or hammer film uh, which is obviously a very famous uh, production company especially within the uk uh, known for producing many uh, sort of cult horror films and helping the likes of uh, peter cushion and christopher lee in terms of being some of their biggest stars and obviously covering a lot of famous characters in terms of gothic stories dracula the mummy etc doing lots of risque pictures you know thrillers noirs comedy um and then this film is from uh, as i said the 1970s and is dr jekyll and sister hyde which is just one of their adaptations of this story surprisingly they've never just done a straight up you know dr jekyll and hyde um, but they have had a few different interpretations of the story uh, so this looks at you know a victorian scientist tests a serum that transforms him into a sensuous murderess uh, it's directed by Roy Ward Baker and obviously the writers, they credited the original story, which is by Robert Louis Stevenson. And the screenplay is credited to Brian Clemens. 
Uh, it stars Ralph Bates along with Martine Beswick and Gerald Sim as our main sort of cast members. Uh, you also have the likes of Dorothy Allison, uh, Neil Wilson, Louis Fiander, Ivor Dean and Philip Maddock. And uh, yeah, this was out in 1971 and is kind of in some ways typical to Hammer Horror, but in other ways very different and certainly an interesting sort of cult film to dive into. And I guess the Hammer Horror aspect is also interesting in terms of experience. I know I talked about it previously when we said about Halloween films, when I was talking about uh, Dracula. Uh, But Mary, do you have any previous experience with Hammer as a film company? Uh, Have you seen many of them? What's your kind of impression when you hear you know, hammer horror. So just sort of very sort of brief dalliances with, with Hammer, I guess. I've obviously seen like, you know, your big sort of Christopher Lee uh, movies, but I've not really, it's not something I've really looked at in depth. When I when I think of Hammer, I think of something, you know, quite kitsch, maybe a little bit sort of like, I don't want to say sexy, but sort of flirting with the idea of sex and obviously lots and lots of blood spatters. So I was, you know, I was looking forward to watching this because it's not something that I've, it's not a, a film studio that I've watched a lot of their work, but you kind of know what you're getting into, I feel like. Yeah, and definitely known for their sort of crazy far out ideas and sort of very much of that era in terms of like when they were kind of crossing boundaries and sort of like pushing the limits and sort of giving people what they wanted in terms of like coming away from that sort of era of like more censorship and that kind of stuff, but also bigging up like horror and your sort of like big theatrical gothic characters. Um, have you got saw any like favorites in terms of actual like your classic uh horror characters even though some of them are obviously known for more your universal monsters but obviously they've been covered as well within hammer as well yeah do you know i recently rewatched a uh, frankenstein and bride of frankenstein the james whale films from the 30s and i just forgot how emotional they are to watch like you really connect with the monster and you know the sets are quite elaborate and the acting's really over the top kind of like a like a hammer um so I think that, I would say Frankenstein is the most empathetic, but I, I love a Dracula movie. I'm a bit of a sucker for a sort of tall, dark, brooding stranger with fangs. So yeah, Dracula, I would say, was my favourite. And uh, pun not intended there for sucker for Dracula. <laughs> I didn't even know I'd done that yet. <laughs> um, so and is there any sort of go-to you think with Hammer that you remember seeing before or were you going into this like quite fresh of like, okay, I can't really remember the last time I, I, I saw Saw? Totally going into it fresh. I genuinely couldn't tell you the last time I watched a Hammer Horror. So I think that's why I was quite excited to get stuck into it. As I say, you kind of know the hallmarks of what a Hammer Horror is. And I'm obviously familiar with uh, Jekyll and Hyde, but really didn't know what to expect from this. And that's what was quite uh, exciting about it. Yeah, well, and our previous guest, Sarah, obviously loves uh, Jekyll and Hyde just as a story and all the adaptations that it's got. Have you got much kind of experience with, you know, the original book or the other adaptations? There's been so many, or is it kind of the same? Like, I know for me, I kind of see it in like a kind of like Christmas Carol kind of way, like everyone knows the story, everyone knows what to expect, but there's so many variations out there, you know, it's hard to, to have seen them all. Oh, 100%. I don't actually think I've seen a film version of Jekyll and Hyde, if I'm being really honest. It's just one of those kind of classic stories that you feel like, you, like you said, like you're really familiar with, even if you haven't read the book or seen a film, it's just something, you, the concept is what you're what you're familiar with. Yeah, they kind of reference it and throw to it so so much in in other media, I guess. Um, Craig, I guess I'd 
also ask you because you have a lot more experience with Jekyll and Hyde in television and as we mentioned last time with musicals etc I'll tell you my favorite pop culture instance of Jekyll and Hyde this genuinely is one of my favorites although I realize this is going to make David laugh there's an episode of Arthur where they just have all the characters singing and they uh, and they have brains singing the song. Basically, he's just read uh, Jekyll and Hyde, which, given how young those kids are on that show, I'm impressed they're giving them that novel. And he just sings this song where he just imagines himself as a scientist taking taking the potion. And just since I've ever seen it, every now and then, my, my mind becomes overcome with... I was Jekyll, Jekyll, Hyde, Jekyll, Hyde, Hyde, Jekyll, 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 Hyde, Jekyll, Hyde. Just over and over and over again. That's the biggest inf- biggest influence of it, I guess. I remember seeing this pop up on YouTube now. Like as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, where do I know this from? Where have I seen it? And I, I don't know if it was one of those like Jekyll, Jekyll, Hyde for like five hours sort of joke videos yeah. or something like that. But yeah, I, I remember this now. <laughs> yeah. But in, in more serious, obviously, it was one of the texts I had to study at university but also just um i i really love the stage musical even if some people think it can be a bit overblown i think it has some songs with some beautiful wordplay i i imagine most people if they ever see the stage version it's the recorded version with david hasselhoff as jacqueline hyde which is a little bit insane i didn't know that existed yeah honestly um I don't know where you'd be able to find it, but there are some great songs in it, uh, especially their opening music, uh, opening sort of number, just called Facade, just basically just says everything you need to know. However, my favourite sort of story sort of adaptation of Jekyll and Hyde um, is the Stephen Moffat series Jekyll um, with James Nesbitt. And I don't know, I don't know why I seem to be the only person willing to defend the show that I found. It just has the sort of usual Moffat issue of just he cannot end stories in some situations. But the actual build-up of everything he's trying to do is actually quite interesting. And I just remember seeing the preview of just uh, when Hyde is released for the first time uh, to basically defend him from a mugger. And he basically kills the mug, uh, kills the sort of mugger or the sort of thug on the street. Uh, and, then the, and then the woman he was with, he basically turns to and sort of threatens. Actually, no, it's sorry. It's the scene before that. It's basically, he's got the upper hand and he's about to kill this mugger. And he says, luckily for you, I don't enjoy killing children. Snaps his neck, just turns around and says, but I do enough. So I was like, lovely. But yeah, that's basically my sort of history with the character. And you've made allusion to the fact that I've dressed up as a Halloween as Jacqueline Hyde before. In a costume that didn't quite work, but I, the, the idea of it was good. You had a cane and a hat. That's that's. If if you were in this film, you would have been a suspect as as a murderer because you would have had a cape and a, and a hat. I'm not that tall. <laughs> True. That, that's the only other defining point. That was one of my favorite moments where they just putting up this this big poster of just wanted tall man in tall black hat and tall coat. He walks past and he's like, "I'm going to go home and burn all my clothes." Just, yeah, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, just expected somebody just to be stood opposite and be like, wait, that's him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it it is crazy how many sort of areas Jekyll and Hyde has sort of got into. Because as you were saying, Mary, it, it, you know, I can't remember if I've seen an exact kind of movie adaptation. But then I think of things like Van Helsing and, you know, League of 
gentleman and all that kind of stuff in which like he's there appearing as one of these so famous characters like Dracula etc and then Craig mentioning the fact that that series was by Stephen Moffat I was like oh yeah and then he did Dracula as well later on which (laughs) was quite interesting so yeah a lot of these directors and creators seem to like to play with that kind of playhouse of classic horror characters like Jekyll like Dracula yeah no I'm gutted that the new sort of dark universe they were going to launch didn't launch obviously they'd sort of alluded to uh, Russell Crowe being Jekyll and Hyde and the new version of the mummy and I mean that would have been amazing as far as I'm concerned so I'm gutted that it really got off the ground yeah because I thought as bad as that mummy film was I thought he was actually (laughs) one of the decent bits of it like there was kind of like they were alluding to it when he was in his lab and everything like that and I was like Russell Crowe quite often gets miscast in films, but I think that one was like, no, this is generally a a good choice. Yeah. What, somebody who can be both mild-mannered and incredibly angry at any given moment? I mean, that is Russell Crowe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm just making it clear that if Russell ever happened to listen to our show, he knows exactly what we think of him. (laughs) (laughs) Do more of this. Yeah, I think that that kind of assumption of like what the story is has a big influence on it. But but also because this is such a twist on the story as well, it's it's quite interesting to go at it from that angle. So I suppose you go into the movie with lots of expectations, lots of perceptions about what Jekyll and Hyde is, what Hammer is, um, but also then that idea that like, oh, this is a twist on it and it's Sister Hyde. It's like, you know, the female you know side uh, to him which especially from previous episodes we've talked about things like the invisible woman and often these horror films don't have a great track record in terms of that kind of representation i do have a question for the class <laughs> go on when you heard the title of this film am i the only person who thought that his uh his alter ego was going to be a nun oh no i thought that too oh thank goodness <laughs> I've been watching too much Dairy Girls because obviously there's Sister Michael and that and it's like, oh, Sister Hyde, she'll be a nun, that's fine. I just thought it would be weird that, like, because in the film she's Mrs. Hyde and I'm just like, well, what specific reason is there for her being a a sister in this? So I just thought she's going to be a nun and that's why I was intrigued as to where this film was going to go. Then she wasn't and I was like, well, I feel dumb now. (laughs) We can feel dumb together. When I was watching the sort of behind the scenes to this, again, they don't really sort of reference it in the film or really in many of the credits or anything. But one of the experts who's talking about Hammer does refer to it as Edwina Hyde, which I was like, okay, interesting. But, you know, <laughs> kind of fits with, with... I mean, it's not it's not that interesting. It's just the fact that it's Edward Hyde and they were like, what's the female equivalent of Edward, Edwina? Yeah, uh, but just in terms of that kind of like gothic sounding name as well. But yeah. This, uh, we'll keep the Ed Wieners to uh, Chicken Run uh, rather than uh, evil <laughs> evil <laughs> sides to, uh, to characters. Mary, what, what is your first reactions to it when you sort of finished watching the film? What, what was your reactions? What did you think of it overall? Do you know, I think I went into it with perhaps really low expectations and I think they served me well because I did really enjoy it. I thought it was lots of fun. I thought it played around with, you know, identity uh, really well. I quite like the, you know, the sets that you can see that are really obviously painted, the sort of professional cockneys cutting about on the, the cobblestones. Like, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was like camp, fun, over the top. And yeah, I mean, it's a hammer horror. How can you not enjoy it? 
yeah, I think again, when I was watching the behind the scenes, there was um, one of the experts on there said that like the performances, especially it's like, the, you know, it's very pastiche, but it's like walks the line. It, you know, it, it doesn't go too far. They manage to just kind of be sort of playful, be, you know, be pastiche about it, but not in a kind of silly or ridiculous way, which I think was quite a good way of putting it. And I think that the performances, do, you know, are a big part of that. As you said, the music the sets and also the fact that it is quite a traditional uh, typical story there isn't kind of like you know all these like unraveling webs it's not like a big watch either it's you know just over like 90 minutes as well so you know it's, it's quite a sort of like you know neat time to it as well also interesting we we're talking about the history and and uh the characters and everything as well this is one that throws in other characters as well they put Burke and Hare in here as well there's a bit of Jack the Ripper as well what what, what was your reactions to that um as a Scot <laughs> I was a question mark over why um you know two Edinburgh body snatchers were in London because they never made it there as far as I was aware but it was a little bit of fun I quite like the fact they sort of conflated this idea of his alter ego becoming Jack the Ripper I quite like that because it adds that little bit of historical truth to it and obviously, because no one knows who Jack the Ripper is, you know, there's there's every possibility that it could have just been a madman stroke woman in his lab in London. But I quite like the sort of conflating of the two ideas. I thought it, it worked. It certainly worked for the, the story they were trying to tell anyway. Yeah, I think the, like I alluded to earlier, my biggest takeaway was also, I, I just had this fear that it was going to be of that time of like invisible woman, this kind of like very sexist kind of ridiculous you know like my first thought I actually didn't think the nun thing I'll be honest but maybe just because of the way the Sarah described it but I was so fearful that you'd get this very much like woman out for revenge kind of aspect of like oh she's going to be killing men and you know like she feels wronged or something like that and they would go very much typical with that and they start to build up to that a bit with uh, the Professor Robertson character in which he's like talking about these women that he fancies and how he spent his night, etc. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, are we going to go be going down this path? And if it's handled well, then, you know, I don't, I don't think it's too much of a problem, but you don't want just that typical kind of like women are the enemy kind of aspect or like, oh no, you know, it's horrific because he's turned into a woman. And even at that time, it's crazy to think that you know, this was done because, you know, you look now in which, you know, gender politics is such a big thing. But, you know, this was like before all of you saw Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and people have acknowledged it as a kind of quite, you know, remarkable film for sort of tackling, you know, the idea of gender and sort of like, I guess, maybe drag in some ways or like, you know, cross-dressing, if you want to call it that. But yeah, I, I thought that was crazy that it sort of tackled this and actually did it did it quite tastefully. Just agree with you slightly on that. I felt like the female characters in particular were quite obviously quite hypersexualized. The sister Hyde obviously is super sensuous. Um, she's the only character who's who's nude. Um, there's obviously the sort of the red silky dresses that she wears, and then you know she's quite um, the upstairs neighbor Howard. You know, looks at her practically with his tongue hanging out of his mouth, and uh, and then his sister. She just seems uh, totally obsessed with with Marion Dr. Jekyll, you know, she's like, you know, so keen to get a boyfriend or fiance or whatever. So I thought the women in the film were quite, not poorly represented, but you're either like, you're, you're in a bar, you're a sex worker, or you're just really desperate, like to, to get with a man. So I feel like it probably wasn't the best representation, but I'm going to, you know, it's 1971 and it's a hammer horror. I'm not expecting perfect gender politics here. 
specifically as well what i want to add to that is the idea that the idea of which women are worthy of killing end up being the sex workers i think i i would throw up if i were to say that this is a more progressive ideal uh of gender politics for a film of that time as opposed to something which is standard especially considering and this is one of my biggest issues with the film that i sort of want to address up front i just think that the motivations that mrs hyde actually has are just incredibly either confused or non-existent it's not because there are times in which they don't make it very clear that this is a a completely different personality from dr jekyll and there are time uh and i think as well because i think that's obviously the big part of the story the idea of just that dual the duality of man the fact you have a a sort of reasonable persona and you have one which is your more uh monstrous animal animalistic intentions it's unclear to me exactly what these personalities actually bring out especially considering that he's already killing and he then uses her to continue killing but after a while oh no she has a horrible influence over him for out of nowhere that this happens so i I just don't understand exactly why this is. And then just this idea of, oh, I have to battle her, I have to beat her because she's killed a one dude more than you actually wanted to kill. I think it's really, really kind of problematic and a bit, a bit bad. So that's why I'm just a bit confused about what exactly the point of this film is actually trying to get. Because I think, yeah, the I, I think the ideas are definitely there. I like the the build-up progression of just, oh, this is why he's experimenting with... Uh, with the hormones because of the idea of uh, extending life. I thought that was all good. But then the fact that his ethics are basically already skewed before going into the potions in ways that her, her personality just continues. And yeah, like, like absolutely spot on with regards to the upstairs, upstairs lady of just the moment she hears about uh, like Mrs. Hyde, she's angry. And then, and then, uh, he comes in and says sister her eyes just light up as just like great this guy i've never really spoken to is avail available he's mine now it's just yeah i i have to challenge these things in fairness if the alternative <laughs> was sitting at home while her mother crocheted i'd probably be out the door as well it doesn't seem like she had a particularly exciting life the thing that did make me chuckle though because we're talking about gender is that they specifically went after female hormones to extend life and I find that really funny because in real life, it's always said that, you know, men are allowed to age gracefully, whereas, you know, women, you know, are not allowed to age or they feel like they have to do like fillers or hair dye or whatever. So I thought it was really funny that it was it was feminine um, energy that he wanted because, you know, women are quite famously not allowed to age, as it were. Um, problematic gender politics aside, um, I do think it is a, a rather enjoyable romp, but we'll get into that a bit more later. Yeah, I, I think the romp aspect is definitely what makes me, I won't say forgive him, but just kind of made me like kind of accept, as you said, Mary, the kind of aspects that it was made in like the 1970s. But I think you're both definitely right. I would agree with everything in terms of like the representation of the women, etc. I think it was just that I was just glad that there wasn't this kind of like easy pitfalls that they went into, especially considering the hammer as previously through other the studios made films like lesbian vampires etc which very much went with like naked women blood everywhere Uh, whereas this thankfully i think martin beswick was just like i'm not doing that and it was just like you know i think the performances what other people have said is kind of like saved them from being underwritten roles they brought the most that they could to it 
I, I agree, and I, I'm going to preface this now. I think, obviously, in terms of a romp, I did. there were definitely moments I had I had a good time. I'm just establishing my stance for later where I think there is actually going to be a bit of a discussion debate. Mm, yeah, and I, I, I think that's what is definitely true, is that there's ideas and themes presented there, and like you said, Craig, you know, why... Why is this, the, you know, the bad version? I think you, it very much presents itself as like, oh, you know, as in the description, like he turns into this evil woman. It's like, unless you kind of like are told or kind of shown through visuals that she is evil, there's like nothing really to sort of suggest why you shouldn't turn into that. I guess I kind of saw it as very much the Jekyll and Hyde personalities of just like, she's trying to take over um, and she's just driven by kind of, murderous instincts I, I i guess through whatever reason i i don't know why i guess the idea with jekyll and hyde as you said earlier craig is sort of like bringing out that like animalistic kind of like nature of man uh, but that isn't really so present in this story it's more the kind of like oh he's an evil woman and it's like why is she evil you don't know but i kind of just got on board with the idea of just like it's a part of, of his personality which is just trying to take over so i was just glad that they didn't go to too many sort of like bad jokes or bad cliches. But I did think it was interesting that there wasn't too much of a like, oh, you know, oh my God, it's a woman kind of thing. And the the the, the amount that he's sort of like tackling the sort of changing, it seems that he, I don't know, there seems to be this identity crisis that he's going through seems very personal in some ways. There doesn't seem to be, I think the, you know, the star, you know, who played Hyde, uh, Martine Beswick said she wanted to bring that kind of like idea of gender to the story of like everyone has their feminine side and the fact that his feminine side is coming out more you know I think she said in like a commentary like you know I wanted to push that more and I think even the director or writer said we should have done that actually you were right and she was like thank you you know after all these years she was you know vindicated in that so it was interesting that that was an idea presented and I felt that that did come through in her performance because while I think at the start of the film as, as well there's that kind of like typical oh my god I'm a woman etc but later on there just seems to be this kind of like empowerment that comes from her and more of a kind of like commentary on you know the the female side when he's seeing his hand change etc it's it's not coming through in like oh I've just taken the potion it's as if like this is just a part of his personality that's coming out. I think as well it's interesting that when he is Jekyll he's kind of like flighty and prone to sort of outbursts of emotion which in the 70s I'm sure quite a lot of female characters were um sort of characterized as whereas when he is sister Hyde there's this quite masculine energy about her she's aggressive she's forward you know she says exactly what you know she's thinking she's really you know forward with the with the upstairs neighbor for example so I think there is this kind of duality in the sense that when he is a man he you know portrays these kind of stereotypes of, of femininity and when he's the, the female he's almost been quite aggressive and quite masculine I think and also there seems to be this kind of like fear of embracing that feminine aspect like with the dress you know when he like wants to replace his cloak and he's like they got it wrong and you know the fact that when he is sister Hyde there seems to be very much like wearing the red dress to kind of be this bold like uh emblematic sort of character which like I said is in you know and, and the fact that you see often there's like when they're flipping between the sort of versions and you sometimes see like glimpses of him in the dress like you know that actor there and like his hand and and her hand etc 
you know, that's what made me kind of think of like something like drag in, in the sense that he's like almost that he's like, I want to do this. I kind of want this aspect. I want this kind of like show aspect to me to sort of like put on this performance. And when he is Sister Hyde, he's able to do that. He's able to be more seductive with characters, to be more confident. Um, whereas when he's Jekyll, he's, you know, more nervous or, you know, he, he's sort of just focused on his work, um, which... You know, again, I think that it, it's helped by by those performances, definitely. Not so much like a lot there in the script, but I think that the way that they play it helps a lot in terms of showing what they're thinking inside or, or the kind of situation that they're going through. I just think a lot of this needed to be established front up in ways that it just isn't in order for me to have a lot of the readings of that film. But that was definitely something that was going through my mind watching it was just thinking like this is still crazy for the time in which it was made to have this kind of like idea of somebody sort of changing into a woman. And even with the relationship with the neighbors, etc., the fact that you have, you know, I was I, I, I think like you said, Mary, I agree that it's I don't like the fact that the uh, Susan, I think her name is, uh, is kind of like oh, you know, Jekyll, I'm obsessed with him. And you're like, why is this a man who like shuts himself away? That It's not like other characters in which you could understand why there's this kind of attraction there or like what makes them sort of enticing. There's nothing there about him that would make somebody want to swoon like that, apart from maybe the fact that she just doesn't want to be uh, like her mother or maybe she feels she can like help him. But I thought it was interesting that there kind of was this rivalry with her brother. And, you know, he took a sort of fancy to... Uh, hide and when he was like making out with her i was like this is almost not like a try a love triangle this is almost like a square in the sense that that guy is making out with a man in a in a way <laughs> which i thought was interesting the fact that the brother and sister do- think that they're after another brother and sister but don't realize they're after the same person it is is weird <laughs> and it's so the brother and sister going after the brother and sister kind of gave me the ick even though it's not like it's not anything weird it's just two people that happen to but yeah I thought it would have been an even bolder statement if I mean I don't know if this was ever mooted at any point but if if Ralph Bates had played both roles Jekyll and Hyde I wonder if it would have gone as far as it did with the sort of you know the sort of sensuousness the hypersexualization. um because it's just as it just a thought popped into my head as as I was watching it definitely something I think which might come up um does that come into casting as well, Craig, in terms of the looks? Or... What do you mean? Well, something I, I sort of found interesting was like the way, well, it, it's in the film, obviously, is like, you know, the, the beauty spot and things like that. But I think something that was commented as well was the fact that they looked so alike, they kind of looked like brother and sister. So at least the, act, the, the actors kind of looked like each other. But yeah, it would have been interesting if, if he had played it. But yeah, and... What did you guys think of like the other performances in this apart from uh, Hyde and uh, Dr. Jekyll, like in terms of like the professor, for example? I think, to be honest with you, a lot of it was kind of sort of inoffensive, sort of classic British character acting. Um, The one person who kind of stood out to me was Susan, the sister, because I felt like she didn't know when or what her next line was there was a lot of pauses in between whenever she spoke and she sort of looked around and I think um I quite liked the mortician the character that Philip Maddock played I quite like that sort of like snarling villain of oh that's not how I like him and I've got these blokes over here and sort of looks almost to camera type of thing I quite like that over the top sort of vaudevillian type of you know 
character. Um, I would say that on the whole, apart from the two leads, it is just your kind of standard sort of British ensemble cast. I mean, I can't say I can comment on it more than that, I have to say. I, I do have to agree. I think my favourite delivery in the film was... I think it. I think it is the mortician character. If it's someone else, I I apologize. Who, when inspecting one of the bodies, um, and talking about uh, talking about, um, there's nothing there to sell uh, to sell to Jekyll, because and then just the way he delivers this, it, the very thing that he wishes to extract has already been extracted, and it just leaves. It's just I I don't know why I love that. As well as probably my favourite line of the film that did make me laugh by... I, is it one of the... Is it the police officer? I can't remember his rank. Uh, where when when one of the grave uh, grave robbers is just hanging, just says, Burke by name, Burke by nature. Yeah. <laughs> just, just out of nowhere, just the bringing in the sting. I mean, other than that, he was really ineffectual as a police officer, like given that there was a killer on the loose and he was just standing at the wrong corner with his whistle. That was all he was. Oh, yeah. And also just being in, being in the carriage saying, oh, there's some. Oh, so we suspect that Jekyll is the killer. Someone has left Jekyll's house. Oh, that someone has now just died. Oh, it can't be Jekyll. It's like, yeah, but he could have an accomplice, right? Just. But it wasn't the tall man in the tall hat. So. <laughs> Also, who announces to the entire world, this is the exact costume we expect you to be wearing in every single one of your murders? <laughs> I did enjoy as well how nonchalant the kind of officers were. They like come up to the professor like, uh, there's been a, a, another murder. And he's like, when did it happen? He was like, a few minutes ago. And I'm like, well, why weren't you there? Why didn't you do anything? They're always like just around the corner or just there with the torch. And I'm like, how did they keep getting away with this? How did you not see anything? <laughs> it just, it makes you think like, okay, well, it's it's fair enough that Jack the Ripper happened if this is the, the level of policing <laughs> that was happen, happening. It's also just how nonchalant the sort of town criers were about every single murder just i like, remember the last one just being like murder <laughs> murder dude even they sounded bored by that point they were just switched off to the whole thing i did sympathize with the mother in that sense when she was like close the window i was like yeah you wouldn't want to be hearing that on a daily basis i just thought it was really funny as well when they're obviously on the stakeout and he's just concerned about getting his next drink and i'm like sobriety is probably quite key <laughs> to catching whoever it is the tall man in the tall hat and then of course they both see the outline of a woman in the window and all of a sudden I'm like oh He's got a woman in there. And I'm like, again, nobody's paying attention. <laughs> it was just so, like, they were just so not bothered by it. It was quite hilarious. I did like the aspect, though, that, like, when those two women are leaving the pub and, you know, they're all, like, drunk and stuff. I, I, I like the aspect of at least, you know, oh, who's that in the background? Like, oh, it's a woman. It's fine. So I kind of thought that was quite clever in terms of, like, you know, you wouldn't suspect them. And it's kind of playing with the trope of, like, oh, it's always these, like, women um who are like hookers etc who die etc so i thought it, it somewhat was playing with that you know conventional Wait, what how aspect in the sense of like they see her and they just wouldn't suspect that she would be the murderer so they're almost flipping that kind of like you know trait cool that's um, not quite what you said <laughs> uh, but i'm glad that that's the sort of opinion because the way you say oh it plays with this trope of oh it's always the prostitute to get killed it's like yeah it was in this film it doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
um, but I, I guess by the end, she wanted to mix it up a bit. She was just like, you know, tonight, a, you know, a pure blood will die, etc. So she she wanted to change it up slightly, I guess, by by the end. I think Susan was just really annoying. Mm. <laughs> like that's why she was next yeah. on the, she was on the like, list to get I've had enough off. of her yeah. that was a moment I had to laugh at as well is when she was like innocently like going through the mist and she was like behind her and I was like come on you would like one why have you definitely doesn't seem interested in me I'll just go for a walk in the dark which is an odd move when a murderer is around but also just how unknowing she was that there was somebody behind her and when she literally like went to stab her and then was like stopped by the Jekyll side it's just funny that she just didn't didn't know any of that was happening behind her. Fairness there was a lot of women in this film who despite the fact that what I thought was nice was women were looking out for women they were like don't walk home alone walk home in pairs or you're too drunk whatever but then it was like oh don't don't walk down that really foggy dark lane by yourself. Proceeds to walk down a foggy dark lane. No wonder the body count was so high. Everyone was just traipsing off doing their own thing, and yeah, almost not caring as much as the the policeman. Another weird part I found was um, we were talking about like the sort of more you know comical moments or the you know the the big. Uh, sort of theatrical performances was when uh when you do see the end of Birkin here and yeah there is that moment where you saw like hanging but then the fact that they're just like oh and what I need to find here and it was just like oh no him we put him into the like what is it the 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 lime sand or whatever the lime pit yeah yeah and you just cut to this random scene of him like scrambling in there and like looking at camera like ah and then just cut back away again and I was like okay <laughs> it just seemed very um yeah I don't know like family guy or something and just kind for of, the like, rest of the away. film now he's just blind and stood on like parkour <laughs> just on the corners yeah I didn't understand the lame pit thing I must admit there was a strange sort of cut to me when it almost became like carry on killing or something it was a it was a bit of a strange one but Obviously, with, with Hammer, they do do these sort of weird kind of comedy touches, right? You know, when they're not doing the big, like, scary, like, bombastic, you know, music and the blood spatter everywhere. There is sort of, because the neighbour, Howard, he was practically doing, like, one-liners and eye rolls to the camera. I was kind of like, well, this is, he was playing it for laughs, I feel. Yeah, and, but, you know, we've talked a bit about the, with, like, the set and stuff you were saying earlier, Mary. I think that that, that is somewhat of a strength of these kind of films is that you know you watch it and you're kind of like ah oh, you know you know everything's real there's a kind of like theatricality to it because it looks almost like a play or something and yeah I was surprised that they, that what that influence was there that apparently like things like Oliver they almost wanted to make it like a musical so that's why it very much is like fake sets and stuff they originally it wanted to make me it so much of Oliver but that's yeah. a bit like a kind of professional cockney type of thing and I love the little like footsteps on the cobbles and all that sort of thing but I yeah, I really like that kind of set. It's a bit cheesy and a bit sort of two-dimensional, but that makes a lot of sense now that you've said that. I feel justified in my opinions watching it. And even with the characters, I think it just kind of, I don't know if there's like a homeliness, if you want to call it that, or just the kind of atmosphere, but the, you know, the fact that they had that guy like, hot potatoes, hot potatoes, you know, I was like, a film now wouldn't take the effort to like have the potato guy on the street, you know, unless they're doing something as part of the plot, you know, it wouldn't matter or it would just be a generic kind of paper salesman or something like that. But I just like the fact that it was like a specific hot potato salesman. And then it was the same when you started to see the town crier and all of that kind of stuff it kind of added to the that vibe of Whitechapel and, and London etc the set uh which uh Jekyll lives in you know his house it very much reminded me of um 
Frasier, like his brother Niles, it looked like the apartment that he lives in in uh, in Frasier. So I very much got the idea of like, okay, this man is like you know well off. He's got like his lab, which is completely different to the rest of the house. And I think it works quite well when you see him in that setting and he's trying to hit the latch on the door and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but also the transformation, you know, it was quite clever how they did it where they were, you know, you saw his back and then the mirror, you know, like takes the hands away. Um, and one of my favorite moments was the bit in the glass at the end, you know, when he saw like trying to escape and you see that transition happen through the colored, colored glass. I thought that was quite, quite a clever effect. There's a moment like earlier on in the film that kind of precedes the moment in the glass, which I also really, really loved. But I can't work out if it's like a, a broken mirror or a pattern on a window, but it, it split into three and there was the, you know, his face was in two halves and her face was in the middle and it, it created this weird sort of almost alien like look and I was like oh I actually paused it I was like this is so good to look this is beautiful to look at and they obviously kind of replicate that um a little bit uh, at the end with the the red and the, the clear glass also just the ending in particular again to go back to what I said earlier it reminded me of Frankenstein you know you've got the village or the crowd at the bottom and you know he's up on the roof and they're sort of sh- shouting at him and the police are after him and there's obviously the kind of high drama and it did really remind me of one of those like classic monster movies as well so there's lots of little nice touches throughout that I thought were actually really well executed if you'll pardon the pun again. Yeah I had to sort of pause that end part with the face with you know it was meant to be kind of like an amalgamation of both personalities and at first I was like "Mm, not sure if I quite see that or if it's just a kind of like injured face because they've just fallen off a building but I appreciated the effort to show, you know, those two sides. And yeah, I think the, the mirror one is a good example. Like I said, it's, you know, you got like these great saw like props. They had that knife, which he used. And I think that's what caused it. he threw the knife and it kind of split, split the mirror. And, and of course, you got your sort of typical green and red potions. And it all looks like very mad scientists, very much like you said, like Frankenstein, etc. But also with the mirror scene, I'm pretty sure there are moments where where every now and then which part of the face they're meant to represent do do switch at times so it mm. e- so it creates that effect even more i did i did really like that in terms of what they were going for again yeah with the end face at the bottom i was curious as to exactly what stage of the transformation that is meant to be as opposed to just looking like script for a bunch of glue on his face i can't remember which victim number it is um but when he takes the sex worker back to his apartment and she asks him to obviously unlace her corset and there's that beautiful little, it swaps really quickly from you actually see him physically killing her to the shadows in the wall and the shadows are spattered with blood. I really like that as well because it was kind of like a sort of Victorian sort of zoetrope type thing which obviously fits in with the era um, but it also probably helped them get around a little bit of censorship as well if they weren't allowed to show too much. So I really like that scene as well because that's quite cleverly done. All right, well, grab those video cassettes and roll them, uh, wind them again, because it's time for VHS Corner. So a lot of this is just going to be talking about certain anecdotes that comes from the actors themselves. I think there are times in which uh, one of you, I'm not going to name which of you, but it's probably going to be the one who's talked consistently about watching all the behind the scenes several times over and over again, uh, may have alluded to some of these uh, things, but we'll just go into them in a bit more detail. I'll start with actually a nice one, uh, because believe it or not, uh, Ralph Bates ended up meeting uh, his his future wife in this film, 
uh, because he went on to marry Virginia Weverall, who is uh, one of the prostitutes that he killed. Um, yeah, so what a way to start out. Um, how prophetic that is, I don't know. Uh, but in terms of, uh, this is one thing that Mary was alluding to earlier. Um, Ralph Bates did actually say after the film was released that he thought the hammer could have been bolder by allowing him to play Sister Hyde and Drag. So it is something that he wanted, but the studio very much was sort of still against because there was still a lot. There was still a lot that they had to sort of deal with. Note how the scene that I sort of already mentioned about not really making much sense was in an attempt to try and actually cut down on some of the violence that they were showing. That's why they had the rabbit gutting, etc., etc. And now we come on to Martine Beswick, because she said several things about uh, about her time on the film. So the first was that um, when she was offered the role, she originally, laugh, uh, she originally laughed at the idea, uh, but then she thought it'd be interesting to explore the male-female inside people. And she also added, it was great working with, uh, with Ralph Bates, especially when they had to transform from Jekyll into Hyde, which they said was quite challenging and quite uh, very interesting. Because obviously what they would have had to have done is that she would have been acting essentially reverse from him. So she was just in the mirror acting out, which technically is why I thought that shot was a particularly good one. And now we come on to the nudity, because obviously this is something that Hammer, up before this film, didn't actually use in the way in which they used it, right? Because she obviously, she appears topless, something which didn't really happen before this era of films. So Martine uh, Beswick said that she agreed to go topless when she took the role, but during uh, during the film, the director, uh, Roy, uh, Roy Ward Baker, uh, said she should do a full frontal shot. And she obviously didn't want to, and they argued about it to the point that they ended up not speaking to each other for about a week. Eventually, they made up, and and then she agreed to be fully nude. But then the film would only allow her to show her her breasts and her butt on screen, uh, not any pubic hair. So, it, basically, it didn't matter. But in order to film it, she still had to be totally naked on set. To which she demanded a close set, which was agreed upon. But then she remembers seeing, and I quote, dozens of people hanging from the rafters in the studio in order uh, during the shoot in order to take a look at her. So I think that's one of the things that in the back of my head of just, yeah, I'm not going to call this film in any way progressive towards women. Finally, this wasn't the only attempt to make this particular type uh, type of story, uh, because in 1995, this film actually did get a remake called Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde. So M.S. Hyde. So no nuns in this particular picture this time. Uh, in the end, it starred uh, Tim, Tim Daly, not to be confused with the swimmer, Tom Daly uh, and Sean Young and it ended up receiving a Razzie for the worst remake slash ripoff and so that is everything from VHS Corner the closed set not closed set thing makes me yeah. so uncomfortable like we obviously it's only really recently in the past few years you've heard film sets talk about like intimacy coordinators and really being respectful of actors and that what a horrible experience that must have been I feel like shame that I find this film a bit fun now <laughs> that's really gross yeah I think what also didn't help is the fact that because if you also look at it narratively from I, I don't know how you guys felt about it but it also just didn't feel like it was necessary nudity as well it was very much just just for one why were you conducting any form of scientific experiment in just either a trench coat or a, or a dressing gown 
At which point you just open it up and then just like your breasts are there. And it's just this, oh wow, I'm going to... And doing the really... And the thing is, I had a go at last... Like, in my head, I had a go at last week's film for doing this, Your Name. What is it with the trend of just the moment a man turns into a woman, straight for the chest? Straight, come on. They, just, there must be a survey or scientific research somewhere that, you know, they asked a hundred guys, what would you do yeah. first if you became a woman? And all of them said, I'd play with my boobs. Also, I, I didn't realise how hard I actually hit myself in the chest doing that. Ow! Oh, God! I also think that the the Ralph Bates thing is really interesting because I thought he gave a really good performance and I just think that it would have obviously been a totally different film eh, if he had been playing both parts. Um, I guess it probably was too forward-thinking for then, but it it would be really interesting to to see how that had... or how he had pitched it or how it, you know, panned out. Yeah, I think um, I, I didn't see about that in terms of like him actually playing the two roles, which like, yeah, definitely would have been interesting. Um, but yeah, what I had sort of seen more about was just the fact of Martin Beswick wanting to play with the idea of that tackling of gender in terms of like, you know, bringing out your feminine side, questioning those aspects of like, everyone's got a feminine side, everyone's got a masculine side and, and showing those through more through the film and different sequences and performances uh, which i think she manages to do to an extent but it's very much limited by by the script but um yeah obviously, I, still, I, suppose... I still don't think that even if it is present i still don't think it does anything to actually benefit the story of the film that's the issue i have yeah yeah no i think it's more adds to her performance but yeah i think you're right in terms of it doesn't add, like add to the story it doesn't make it more clear about the kind of how how tawny is within his mind you don't know whether to just take it as like oh no i i'm turning into somebody different or whether it's a gender-based thing there's moments in which you can kind of see it but you just don't know if that's coincidental to the situation it's just hilarious considering that he's very clear at the front of the uh, at the front of the film i'm only doing this because i think it's going to make life go longer for people and it's just even if there was a discussion like of just what this would do for the you know for the mind of the person or whatever like that um, I'd be more sympathetic to those causes, but it's just it's just not. It's just done for the absolute most pragmatic reasons you can think of. And then just everything else is just way too much subtext. Is there any other sort of notes you guys would make on any other technical aspects in terms of like music, etc.? I thought that that was quite standout, like especially the opening, you got the candle and everything. It seems very theatrical. It kind of, there, there very much is a theme there. That opening theme in terms of what the tone of the film was, because for for context, I think the actual sort of uh, sort of main musical motif uh, for Sister Hyde, I thought was really good. I just thought the opening theme was way too upbeat for what the story actually wanted to be, because it was just very sort of full on energetic, like woohoo, let's go killing people, people randomly. randomly. It also said like the I love this sort of as I said the sort of big bombastic like the over the top like brass when he's you know murdering someone or whatever but the opening like over the title credits and the credits are all like nice and twirly and then there was these kind of strings over the opening credits and I was like is is this a love story because <laughs> obviously I didn't know anything about it so yeah I would say the opening music's a bit confusing but um yeah I mean I enjoy I like as I say I like that sort of over the top um you can understand the the musical influences for sure. The the score is very, very it's almost a character in itself. It's quite striking. Yeah, I think that um it is, does does very much come across as a very pride and prejudice kind of like, you know, that they wanted maybe that's where the whole like Oliver musical inspirations were coming from. But 
so it kind of takes you to that world and that theatricality but i do most probably like the the sort of sister hyde theme that when she to you know he becomes sister hyde that there's always that kind of theme there sometimes it's very overplayed sometimes like you said with the murders or when certain like action beats are happening that they're like oh here it comes again and then it goes quiet for a while and then the same song sort of comes in but i kind of did enjoy that there was at least that was helping to sell the kind of like evil aspects to her and the dual identity of like you know this is her theme and this is the you know the there's a strong kind of motif uh, to that music which i quite uh, enjoyed it also reminded me of the way in which the character was named because Craig is this actually in Jekyll and Hyde Law that he gets it from Hyde, Hyde Park? Park? Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I think it's just the way it was played in the film just made me laugh. Like, oh, what, what's her name? And he's like, uh, <laughs> just see the paper like Hyde. It's like that's a lady's name. Yeah, yeah but the, the significant <laughs> difference here is that in the originals, Hyde names himself. I think this is why I actually have an issue with the fact that she's called Mrs. Hyde. At no point does she choose any aspect of her own identity. She doesn't choose any of her own motivations. That's why I'm I'm like, I would respect this film so much more if she literally had any semblance of a choice in which it just appears she just doesn't. Yeah, it does feel like, actually, now that you've said that, that makes a lot of sense. She has almost, apart from the professor, she has no agency whatsoever. She's essentially doing what he wants to do, but can't do himself. Like, why didn't she choose her name at any point? Because it was like her brother never gave her a name. And I was also surprised at Susan going, like, so what's your sister's name? Hyde. Sister Hyde. Oh, does she not have a first name? I know that seemed odd that a woman wouldn't even at, like, you know you know is she you know Sharon Jane whatever and it's just like, oh no Hyde but okay and then I've obviously said Mrs Hyde because there was a sort of flicking across Susan's faces oh why wouldn't you have the same last name or whatever um but that was the only sort of um query it looked like she had about her name that's what made me laugh when she you know was changing back and I thought there would be that moment in which like he was just there in the dress or something she was like you have to go now and it was like her like back to them and then once she they left she saw turned around and was still there and I was like oh I kind of wanted to turn around and it be him I was so hoping it was going to be him I was yeah. so disappointed <laughs> <laughs> my big issue is look whenever it comes to say the movie vault we kind of look at it on look at the films we have on a couple of grounds one do we think this is a groundbreaking film which with excellent quality that should be remembered for all time and i think as much as it can be enjoyable i don't i don't think it is a groundbreaking film that can necessarily be put forward on those grounds i wouldn't put it in second of all if it's if it's basically playing with narr- with sort of a a well-known story what grade of expectation for that story do we think it is and i think no one is ever going to see this as a definitive version of the sort of Jekyll and Hyde story because of exactly the reasons I talk about, right? The reasons that Jekyll and Hyde is actually quite interesting is because you watch those dualities play off against each other. That just doesn't happen to a significant extent with this film. Uh, and then in terms of, is this a is this the best representation of a Hammer horror? Absolutely not. I think you have... I mean, you have the traditional films are the ones that people are going to be going back to. You have Frankenstein, Dracula, those t- those stories, the sort of, you know, traditional monster universe kind of stuff, which I think people will just go to massively more before something like this. 
um, which is why I think there are moments I definitely enjoy, but I think overall as a film, it doesn't doesn't really do it for me. Mary, what what do you think? Do you think it deserves uh, to be remembered full time in our movie vault? What what would you say? Oh, I'm afraid not. I think I definitely enjoyed it, and there was lots of elements of it that were really fun. But I mean, I don't even think I would go back and and rewatch it. I know that sounds terrible, but um, it was it was fun for a one time viewing, and I think that. It was progressive in some ways, but not progressive enough um, for me. But good fun, but not probably not something I'm going to remember even just a, a few months down the line, as terrible as that is. Sorry to whoever suggested it. Um, but no, I don't think it goes in the vault, I'm afraid. No, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I definitely agree with you guys. As much fun as I had with the film. Um, and, you know, I, maybe, yeah, I would sort of chuck it on again in the future, but it's not something that, yeah, I would say, you need to watch this. This is a must-watch uh, Hammer Horror film. And, you know, it's I think even by Sarah's, you know, admission, last episode she was talking about her favourite film, like the film that she would want to put in the movie vault was a Jekyll and Hyde sort of adaptation from, you know, like the early days of Hollywood so almost there you know that there is a better version of this story out there I think that this can be appreciated there's definitely some cool aspects to it some you know fun aspects you know that idea of uh, you know the, the villainous woman etc and you know the plane and having that twist to it uh, but then it just doesn't go far enough with it and I think this it's not memorable enough and it, it mixes in a few different stories like Burke and Hare as well which kind of muddies the water a bit more and as Craig said, you know, there's a lot more memorable kind of hammer horror as well. So, yeah, I think consensus on that one is, you know, it, it definitely enjoyable watch. Glad uh, we watched it, but unfortunately not going into the movie vault this week. And I think that's the first time in this new string of episodes yeah. we've done that we've actually not put something in. Keep it coming. We want to talk about the controversial movies, the uh, the ones which we have to really, really question. Uh, it's always enjoyable. We're in the end game now. It's so annoying. Okay, end game time. So this is a game I've lovingly called end, end game time for a change. Obviously... This is a a film which is a great example of what a lot of films tend to do, which is basically take a story from a classic novel or play and basically try to create some form of spin on it in terms of uh, what can we do. And I think a number of films try to do this, both sort of uh, in the era that we've been talking about or even in the more modern day. And by that, I mean lots of 90s stuff. So what I've done, and this is basically going to be a sort of a penalty shootout, is I've gotten a lot of films which their their plot is basically derived in some way from a traditional play or a book. I'm going to, one by one, give you that film and I want you to try and guess what book or play it was originally based on. Note, there are several films which are based on the same book or play. So, for example, the amount of... The amount of films I could name you, which are based on something like Hamlet. Um, like, I can literally give you an example now of The Lion King and The Northman. Um, basically, yeah, uh, doesn't, worth, uh, doesn't worth saying. So basically, don't be like, oh, they've said it, therefore this cannot be the answer sort of thing. Basically, I have two sets. Uh, what I'll do is before we start playing, uh, Mary, I will give you the option between set A and set B as to which ones you want. 
But before we uh, before we get to that, I think we should have a little uh, glance at what we'll be playing for. Obviously, we'll be, as usual, be playing for the opportunity for either David or Mary to decide which of the films, based loosely on the conversation that we've had this week, we'll be discussing our next full discussion episode, which will be in... Uh, well, David will explain that later, but it won't be our next episode. So, as usual, we'll give you a little sort of teaser as the sort of uh, sort of film you'll be playing for. So, David, give us a little hint at what you would choose if you were to win this endgame. Uh, so, I wanted Saw still stay with something which was kind of like period. Uh, watching uh, Jekyll and Sister Hyde kind of made me think of films that kind of happen within, you know, those kind of like eras, playing with stuff when you th- see things on like theatrical sets. Um and so seeing like a lot of those like physical props, etc. And I think that while this is looking very much at like London and that kind of stuff, there's like these certain types of movies that sprung to my mind um, in terms of showing stuff from like olden times, uh, which is very much like kind of genre and a period in itself, which is visited a lot within different kind of mediums, whether it be through fantasy or sort like real uh, dramas. Uh, but this was you know, kind of different in the sense that this was from the early 2000s. We're also looking like a bit at kind of like the evolution of like female characters in some ways. There's still kind of like this, you know, the the male gaze kind of in this film, Uh, but it it kind of showed the the change that we're going towards now in which like female characters became, you know, a bigger part of films and they became, you know, more central and that they could play like, you know, action roles rather than just being the damsel in distress. And I think that this was one of the early films which had quite a big name actress uh, for that time uh, in it and saw like changing that that sort of narrative. So, yeah, my my one is kind of in that that link. David, they're playing for the behind the scenes of Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Okay, wonderful. Uh, one thing you didn't say is what year is your film from? Uh, two thousand and three. Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> you're talking all that crap about early stuff, and it's like, yeah, it's the it's the early two thousands. No, that's what Yay. I meant. Yeah, no, that's why I said wow. like how we've gone from like that period when period things were like played in that time. But I said that's the link, but I want to see then the difference to right, when right, it's come okay, through to okay. like the two thousands. Okay, so we've got David with his two thousand and three potentially progressive film but then david's already demonstrated what he believes progressive is on this podcast mary um give us a little teaser about if you if you got to choose the choose the next film we get to discuss what is it and what year is it from uh so the film i had in mind is actually from 1972 it's only one year after a dr jekyll and sister hyde and i think it takes problematic gender politics to a whole another level and it has that classic british ensemble cast with a few professional cockneys thrown in okay already i i think i i think i know what you're gonna go for and i want you to win (laughs) (laughs) so i mean if you want me to win like (laughs) that box is there i mean okay we will see how this goes so, like I said, we have two sets of five questions each. So, Mary, as the guest, you get to choose. Would you like set A or set B? Oh, I'll go set A and get this over with because I'm rubbish at these. <laughs> okay, so set A will be Mary and set B will be David. Okay, so like I said, I'll do this one question at a time. Um, if you get it right, you get a point. If you don't, you don't get a point. Simple as that. 
Okay, so Mary, your first film. You ready? Yes. Bridget Jones's Diary. Uh, Emma? Is it Emma? <laughs> it's Pride and Prejudice. What? Okay. So, uh, I mean, there's even a Mr. Darcy in it. How the fuck am I? Right? Okay. <laughs> I was like, the diary? <laughs> <laughs> okay, David. Yep. Your first film? Ten Things I Hate About You. Oh, um, I know it's Shakespeare. That's about as far as David's knowledge goes, don't worry. Um, oh, oh I'm going to kick myself when I hear it. No, I can't remember. Taming of the Shrew. Uh, oh, I should have gone with set B. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Mary, your next question, or your next film. Deliver us from Eva. Oh, I've never even heard of that. Can I get who's in it? Is that a relative clue? Uh, it is a film from 2003, which stars... Oh, this is a great start. LL Cool J. <laughs> Gabrielle Union, uh, Megan Good, D'Artagnan Edmonds. Yeah, I'm just. I I don't think you're gonna know yeah, anything. That's definitely that's definitely not helped. Um, okay. I'll be nice. Both of you can have one hint per set. I ge- I generally don't have a clue. I had no context for what this film's about or anything. Sorry. Okay, so you're gonna pass. Yeah. So- <laughs> This was also Taming of the Shrew. Oh, <laughs> oh no way. <laughs> yep. Great. Okay, David, you're, you're for the next film. The Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. Yep. It, hmm. A lot of the plot is derived from a particular book or play. Or heavily inspired by, I should say, mm. according to Christopher Nolan doesn't help the (laughs) i'm like damn i wish my book mind was better um i don't know i'm just gonna go troy or something like that some like mythic tale so you think there's a book called troy well but i was just thinking like hercules or you know some kind of like rags to riches thing okay it is a tale of two cities by charles dickens oh I was actually thinking Dickens in my head, and I was like, no, I can't think of anything. Clearly not. You went for Troy. (laughs) Well, originally, and then I was like, I just tried to think of books, but then I was like, I don't know, he's a superhero, and just go for something, like, mythic. Okay. (laughs) Mary, are you ready for your third film? Yes. Pretty Woman. And I'll I'll say for free, it's not based on My Fair Lady, because My Fair Lady is based on the same thing. Pygmalion. Ah. <laughs> I was thinking my fair lady and I'm so glad you said that before I opened my mouth a little oh. yeah so I'll okay uh, David are you ready for your next one yep you're gonna hate me for this one the Spongebob Squarepants movie oh god what <laughs> um, <laughs> see if this turns out to be like Macbeth or something <laughs> is this um, uh, 
would it be like Captain Nemo or something like that because of the whole Poseidon kind of stuff? It's Homer's Odyssey because of oh. the idea of the journey. Right. <laughs> Every film ever. <laughs> no, but specifically the sort of the sort of quests and encounters they basically go on. So. Yeah. And also because obviously quite legendary, mm. right? Because anyway. Okay. So with two questions each left, the score is one to Mary, nil to David. Oh, God. Mary, your next film. The Nutty Professor. Can I have a tiny clue? (laughs) Well, think about what the plot of that... First of all, have you seen The Nutty Professor? I mean, I have, but presumably like 20 years ago in our okay. country. Can you remember the basic plot of that film? Not really. I know that he ends up in a fat suit. <laughs> yeah, so you've got a guy in a fat suit. Presumably at some point he's no longer fat. Oh. I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to pass. I was going to say something ridiculous like Frankenstein, but I can't even think. <laughs> so you are really going to kick yourself for this one. Uh... It's the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> it was like, <sighs> I needed said A. <laughs> he takes a potion to get rid of the fat and it creates an alternative personality, which is a douchebag Finn person. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was, so I've got it in my head in reverse. I thought he ended up in the fat suit. Oh, oh yeah. no, no, no. Sorry. Um, I mean, I would say that it that is the that is the Eddie Murphy version, the original version with, what's his name? Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis, yeah. Uh, it's basically, he's a nerdy scientist who takes a potion to make him the coolest guy in the world. Okay, David, are you ready for your next film? Yes. She's all that. She's all that. And I'm going to be nice and I'm going to give you your hint for this one. Okay. And literally, it is the fairest hint I can give because it's one that's already been given. Mm. You don't say it's my my fair lady because it's based on the same thing. Right. Um. I mean, I'm saying nothing. I just got different. <laughs> of course. Gone, so. No, 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 no. no. Well, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no. I, that's confused me even more. Um, I know. Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I literally say this. Like, oh, was it? Is, it's not, what's that? Pygmalion. Oh, it is. Right. Oh, God. Right. That's why I said it's literally the same hint. Oh, no. I thought you meant in the sense of like, it's something else that's also like My Fair Lady. And I was just like, no, what no, else is no. It? Literally. Oh, right. Don't. Oh, my God. God I, tried... <laughs> I gave you both what I consider to be free answers. <laughs> okay. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the next two. Oh dear. Because depending on what happens, I could easily see this going to a tie break, and I do have a tie break Ooh. ready. Okay, so Mary, your final film is the animated film Barnyard. <laughs> oh, Animal Farm? <gasps> it is Hamilton. Oh. <laughs> and with that, we will go into David's final question, but with that, you have won the end game. So, congratulations. David, so just to see if you can end with a score. Um, <laughs> your final film, and I think you should get this one, is The Lion King 2 Simba's Pride. Oh, 
Oh. Well, there's Hamlet for the first one, but then I'm like, is it like still Hamlet? <laughs> right. Do you want to think about this before you answer? Right. What's the plot of Simba's Pride? Um. Basically, father doesn't want. Oh, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I oh was still thinking like the the whole like yeah like king father stuff. I was like, yeah, no. So notably, the uh, the Lion King films, all of them have some connection to Shakespeare plays in some way, including uh, Lion King one and a half, which technically. Um, is related to a play which was written about characters in Hamlet. Oh, is that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? That's exactly, yeah. That's exactly what they essentially use the plot of for Lion King One and a Half because it's Timon and Pumbaa just doing what those guys did in that play and, to the Lion why, King instead of Hamlet. That's why Mary deserves this win because <laughs> yeah, I'm so with terrible that, with books and adaptations and that kind of stuff. So um, with I that, almost was like King Lear or something. I was like, <laughs> so two to one, the winner is Mary. Hey. It's never happened before. <laughs> I'm so glad this has been recorded for percentage. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay, so with that, um, Mary, you have won the end game. So obviously it now means that you get to choose the film that we end up discussing in our next episode. So please tell all of our listeners out there what are we going to be looking at next time you are going to be looking at and i'm so jealous you're going to be looking at alfred hitchcock's frenzy ah. okay that wasn't what i was expecting but okay fair enough that sounds good uh, yes um it's one of my favorite films one of my favorite hitchcocks so i'm excited that you guys get to discuss it i was actually weirdly i was thinking like hitchcock and so there was so many avenues i was thinking of going down and i was like I was like, do I go down the classic, you know, film route? Like, what was made at that time? And I was thinking, oh, we haven't done Hitchcock yet. So I did did think of, you know, throwing a Hitchcock one in there. But okay, cool. So, yeah, well, next time we'll be talking about Frenzy uh, from 1972, as you said, one year after after the film we're discussing today. And, and what was your description earlier? It kind of takes all the stuff we were talking about into the gender even further, is it? Or? Yeah, even worse. It's I feel like it's the type of it's coming to the end of Hitchcock's career, and I feel like this is the type of like grubby CD film that if he could have got away with making it, you know, years earlier, he would have done the same. And it kind of plays around with sort of dual identity and you know the the male gaze. So I hope you enjoy it. Awesome. Okay. So yeah, next time we'll be talking about Frenzy. So if you want to join in the conversation at home and watch along with us, uh, at the moment you can uh, rent uh, Frenzy on places like. Uh, Apple TV, you can catch it on YouTube, Amazon, Chile, uh, Sky Store. So you can definitely like rent this uh, if you go check it out online. Or, of course, as we said with our previous film, uh, there's always physical media, DVD, Blu-rays, those kind of rental services exist as well. So, yeah, go check out Frenzy uh, to join in with the conversation. We'll be uh, look forward to talking about it next time. And, yeah, it's crazy that we haven't had a Hitchcock film uh, turn up yet and it's good that it's one of the more like random i guess sort of hitchcock films rather than your typical birds and uh psycho because i definitely know that me and craig have done some end games which involved uh, like references to hitchcock but we've not done as much uh sort of talking about uh his films so yeah well uh thank you very much for joining us mary and uh congratulations thank you so much for having me on your win um so before uh we head off can you just tell us 
uh, where the people can find you on socials and more about your website where uh, they can see your writing and your podcast as well. Sure. So you can find me at moviescramble.co.uk or jumpcutonline.co.uk. And if you want to give me a follow on Twitter, it's at Miss Mamie Peace. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. And for us, if you want to uh, listen to the next episode talking about Frenzy, uh, our next one, we are having a break from our uh, sort of film discussions. We're going to have a kind of uh, mid-year uh, discussion of the movie vault. So interestingly, in this episode, a film hasn't gone into the vault, but we'll be kind of recapping uh, the sort of last six, seven films that we've discussed, uh, why they went into the vault, looking back at some of the things we didn't get to mention with them. Uh, we'll also be joined by our previous guest, Paul Klein, and uh, we'll be sort of having a you know, update for uh, the vault up until this point in the year. So just how we did at the start of the year, going through everything that was in there previously, uh, we're going to kind of give people a catch up on what is in there and uh, what we've sort of been discussing so far in the year. So uh, if you want to check us talking about Frenzy, then that one will be out in our first June episode. So look out for it then. Uh, so yeah, thank you once again, Mary. Uh, we look forward to talking about uh, Frenzy in the next episode. Craig, anything lastly from yourself? Not really, unless you want me to continue doing more of the Arthur Jekyll Jekyll Hyde song. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be an earworm for the next few days. I can feel that one. I, I, need to, I do need to go back and actually watch it because I would love to learn some of the verses. Oh, there's actually like more to just the chorus. Yeah, because he... um. Because he descri- I remember it. He describes that one of the ingredients for this potion is suntan lotion. Mm. That's like the only the part. Power of rain. <laughs> That's yeah. like the only part I can actually remember. Definitely a YouTube search uh, after after the recording. So we've got Moon Knight, uh, Kenobi trailer, and Jekyll Jekyll Hyde. <laughs> 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 awesome. All right. Well, uh, thank you, everyone. And uh, we look forward to uh, catching you on the next one. So catch you later. Bye. 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 To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at WellGoodMovies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.